Well, good morning, everybody. In the name of Jesus, I was telling Jeremy this morning when I first walked in, it seems like for anybody to get behind this thing and and prepare it, 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 it always feels like there could be more preparation that you could have done. And and I feel that way. But there comes a time where you've just you've got to say, Lord, I I've done what I can do. I will trust you. I just want you to use me to be a light. And so um, I'm not usually this nervous. <laughs> so maybe it's. I don't know. It's been, you know, I I know you've all been praying for all of us. I appreciate it. And I've been pretty hit and miss the last number of months. And I'm going to talk a little bit about some of what we've been through personally, what we've been through. And, and some, I've got some illustrations from my little ticker right here that applies to all of us. And, um, but we'll just jump in here. Um, as I pondered... My life and the years that uh, I've been a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, 43 years now, the thing that just sticks out to me, what is there some attributes, something to say to make it simple? And, and what comes to my mind is God is faithful. He has been faithful to me. Oh, He has been faithful to me. He has been 1,000% faithful to me. There's never been a time I can look back and say, God, you blew it on that one. No, never. Now, I can obviously say that to Him a whole lot of times. And he in return to my faithlessness has given me his faithfulness. Figure that out. Figure that one out. God calls us to try and figure it out even though he knows we can't. It's beyond our comprehension. But we're still called to try and figure it out. To sit at His feet and drink in and ponder. It is truly of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. They are indeed new every morning. What's that last part? Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. God has been faithful to me in his mercy, in his patience, his his drawing of me. When he was drawing me, leading me up to that point of decision where it was decision time for me. I'm either going to get born again and give my life to Jesus or I'm going to continue the way I'm going and live for myself. 
He was drawing, he was faithful in his drawing, in his leading. How he's led me and my family the last 43 years. In his chastening, he's been very faithful. And he's chastened me, and I've needed it, I've deserved it. And I know all of you here would say, yeah, me too, brother, I know. But he's been faithful, his faithfulness has never failed through all that. In his encouragement, in his provision, everything, God has been faithful. I want to read just a little bit out of A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. I appreciate Tozer. Uh, He had an amazing ability to unpack things and describe them in a way that blew your mind away, but yet made sense at the same time. And this is a book on the, the attributes of God. And one of them that he went through is the faithfulness of God. So I want us to get a little bit, as I, because as I shared my story, I want us to have a grasp on what is God's faithfulness like. It is a good thing to give thanks unto, unto thee and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. As thy son while on earth was loyal to thee, his heavenly father, so now in heaven he is faithful to us, his earthly brethren. And in this knowledge we press on with every confident hope for all the years and centuries yet to come. That's his opening prayer for this chapter. In studying, he says, in studying any attribute, the essential oneness of all the attributes soon becomes apparent. We see, for instance, that if God is self-existent, he must, also, he must be also self-sufficient. And if he has power, he, being infinite, must have all power. If he possesses knowledge, his infinitude assures us that he possesses all knowledge. Similarly, his immutability or inability to change, can I say it that way? Inability to change presupposes his faithfulness. If he is unchanging, it follows that he could not be unfaithful, since that would require him to change. He cannot change, therefore he has to be faithful because he cannot change. I I don't know how else to say it. Sometimes we need to hear it like this, though, at least I do. Any failure within the divine character would argue imperfection, and since God is perfect, it could not occur. Thus, the attributes explain each other and prove that they are but glimpses. The mind enjoy glimpses the mind enjoys of the absolutely perfect Godhead. All that God does agrees with all that God is. All that God does agrees with all that He is. And being and doing are one in Him. 
And I added this little bit. I don't think I'm in disagreement here. Being and doing are one in Him. And I, all that He does comes out of who He is and what He is. And I'd like to say this as well. All that He allows comes out of who and what He is. All that He allows in your life, personally, comes out of all of who and what He is. Are your circuits kind of blown a little bit there? Mine are a little bit. But He calls us to get a grasp on Him and who and what He is. All that He allows to happen to you comes out of all of who He is and what He is. So, you can say, that sounds like God is sovereign. Amen. He is. Okay. The familiar picture of God is often torn between His justice and His mercy is altogether false to the fact. To think of God as inclining first toward one and then toward another in His attributes is to imagine a God who is unsure of Himself, frustrated and emotionally unstable, which of course is to say that the one of whom we are thinking is not the true God at all, but a weak mental reflection of Him badly out of focus. In other words, God has all of His attributes, and we don't know what they are. We, I mean, we've got a few lists here that, that, are, that are good to look at and ponder, but we don't know how many attributes He really has. He's God. We, you know, we see through a glass darkly right now. And, uh, <clears throat> but what He's saying is, is that all of those attributes, He doesn't leave one off to the side to exercise one over here. That would be very inconsistent of him. He doesn't exercise justice over here and leave love over here. Well, i I got to let this and go for a little bit. No. He doesn't do that. He can't do that. All of his attributes work together, including his faithfulness, all at the same time. One doesn't get left behind a little bit just so that he can exercise this one over here a little bit. He doesn't work that way. He's faithful, okay? And all his attributes are faithful. God, being who he is, cannot cease to be what he is. And being what he is, he cannot act out of character with himself. He is at once faithful and immutable. So all his words and acts must be and must remain faithful. Oh man, I, I got to quit right there. God is faithful because, because he, oh man, how do you describe this? He is just plain faithful. He cannot be unfaithful. He cannot be unfaithful to you. He can't be. 
it would be totally against his very nature. And I, th- I think we need something like this driven into our hearts and minds because we tend to forget when the heat gets turned up and we think, where's God? He left me. No, He didn't. He's just testing you. Let's get started. I think of God's faithfulness, a lot of what I think of is a lot of the people that God has put across my path, my family's path through the years. And I know a lot of you could all say the same thing. You you, you step back and you look at how God put certain people across your path at certain times. And you step back and you just marvel. And you say, wow, tell me there is not a God. It's beautiful. Just proves himself to us. And he puts people across our path the most unlikely, the most unlikely. I'll share a little story with you. Back in the late 1800s, there was a man named Ed. He was a, he was a pastor in a little town in Oklahoma. And in the same little town, there was another man named John. He was a bootlegger. He brought in illegal liquor, whiskey, moonshine, and sold it. And many times, Ed, if he'd get the opportunity, he would go steal the liquor from him and dump it out and get rid of it. He loved the Lord. He said, this is wrong. He's, and he, he was a preacher. He was a pastor. Okay. Ed had a daughter named Ruth. John had a son named Ed. Ed's last name was Vice, who had Ruth Vice. John's last name was, guess, Molman. You got it. But who would ever guess that John, his son, Ed, and Ed, his daughter, Ruth, it would be them two that would get married. And they had my dad. And my dad married Barbara. And lo and behold, here I am. But it comes out of the most unlikely people. Who would have guessed? Who would have thought? God is faithful. And I will tell some of you young people who in the future have families coming. You may not even know who, whatever it might be. God is faithful to those children that aren't even born, that aren't even conceived yet. Because God's not bound by time, so he's faithful. He's faithful to my grandchildren that aren't even born yet. I'm confident I'm going to have more. Eh, we'll see. But he's faithful. And so here I come along. Little old Madras, Oregon, on a little farm. And we, uh, at the time of my growing up years, we grew up, if I, if I had a church that I said it had to be a part of it, it would be the first Christian church called the Disciples of Christ. You don't hear much about them anymore. But uh, 
you know, kind of like a Baptist church. I think they had a few different theological differences, but uh, the formal, the format, and everything would have been very similar to that. And uh, my mom was, without question, I got to tie my shoe here. It's driving me crazy. My mom was, without question, a believer. My dad. Well, my dad, just to give you a little input, I don't think he got saved till about maybe two or three months before he died. But thank the Lord he got saved. <laughs> uh, he would go to church now and then, but it, it, there, there was not a hunger. There was, there, was, there, was, there was not a witness of the Spirit in him. And uh, so my mom was the one that planted the seeds. And long when I was about 12 years old, she just came to me and said, you want to start coming to church with me? My dad, he'd go now and then. And I don't know what it was, but I just said, yeah, okay. So that year, I was in the seventh grade. I was 12 years old. And I just started faithfully going to church. I started going to the youth group. I remember a time we, we had a, a youth gathering. We drove over the mountains to a, a little place uh, in Leeburg, down uh, west, up, up the McKenzie Highway from Springfield. And uh, the youth pastor there, we had a weekend there for the youth. And, and uh, I just remember it was, it was a time when the Lord touched my heart. I just, it was when my heart really began to become tender, I will say, towards him. And later on that year, uh, I actually, it was on an Easter Sunday morning. So it's a big crowd, that, you know, and I decided it was time to make a confession. That was the thing to do. See, and that's important to understand. That that was my understanding. This was the thing to do. This is what you do. And so I did that. And the next Sunday after that, I got baptized. And I remember after my baptism, that Sunday evening, talking to my mom, and I said, well, when do I know that I, I know that I'm going to go to heaven? And she said, well, that's what you did just now. And I went, oh, I thought, well, that's kind of neat. But see, as I look back on that time, I, 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 I came to the conclusion there was a big lack of understanding of what it really meant to really be born again, to really surrender my heart, soul, and mind to the Lord Jesus. Well, that school year came and went, and you get a little older. My brothers ahead of me were getting a little older. And even in the 1970s, there's a lot of peer pressure out there to go down a bad path. And I had it. I had it. And so my little bit of wavering, little bit of faith there, whatever you want to call it there, just wasn't all that strong, and I didn't last very long. And I started a, a period of about five years that I think I've shared with you before. Five years I wish to this day I could take them back. Man, if, if you're wavering and struggling and thinking, I just want to taste the world a little bit, please take it from somebody who has. It's not worth it. I'm 62 years old. I wish to God I could take away those years from 14 to 19. 
14 years old. 14, brethren. That's how old I was the first time I got intoxicated. The first time I smoked dope. Because I wasn't strong enough to say no to my friends. Everybody's doing it. Oh, I wish I could take that back. But at the same time, I thank God for that one little year when He touched my heart a little bit. Because even all the while, I was with my friends in sin, in the world, indulging. I knew He was there. I knew He was. And I knew He was watching. I I can remember going home. On a Friday night, crawling in bed and feeling guilty inside for the partying that I did and telling God I was sorry, knowing full well I'm going to go do it again the next Friday night, but still, there was, there was something there that kept telling me, this is wrong. This is sin. This is wrong. I knew. Man, I tell you, my mom... I, I know she prayed a lot on Friday and Saturday nights especially. Some of you know that too. Some of you probably have the same story. I don't wish that. But, you know, I, reality is there. I also know that too. So I went through those years. And then I got done with high school. And I was the youngest of five boys. And my four older brothers had no desire to go to college. And so when it came to number five, the pressure was on. You're going to college. Okay. I didn't really want to. And I could have said, no, I'm not going to. We talked about honoring parents and having respect for them, but there was, I thank God, there was enough in there that pushed me on to listen to their counsel. And so I did. And I started going to a little community college in Bend, Not really wanting to. I, I kind of wanted to just go to work and start trying to make some money. And, and uh, But I thought, okay, we didn't go that route. That was fine. Um, but to give you an idea of how short-sighted I was, and I, I, well, I mean, human nature is short-sighted. Make me happy now. I just want to be happy right now. We're short-sighted. We don't think down the road 
tomorrow, how this might affect me even five years from now. So the first day of college, I was thinking I was going to, you know, I, I liked sports, and so I was going to be a sports writer. I was on the, the high school journalism, high school newspaper for three years. That's what I did, one of the things I did. And uh, But I wasn't really all excited about taking a bunch of, you know, if you go into journalism, you got to take a bunch of English classes. And I, don't, I don't want to do that. Why would I want to do that? And uh, that was my attitude. And so they had a bunch of professors up there and, and, and teachers from the college there that were talking about their departments and what they taught and what you could do with a degree in this and that and such and so forth. And the, the phys ed guy got up there and started talking about a, a career in physical education. And, uh, and you know, you could be a, a gym teacher and such. And where my mind went was soccer, softball, basketball. And you get credits for all this. Yeah, sign me up. This is great. You know, that's, that's how short-sighted I was. We get credits and points for playing flag football. I, sign me up. I'm in. And so, short-sighted. After three years into that, I began to step back and say, I'm not so sure I want to do this after all. But I didn't want to start all over either. So I ended up eventually graduating and actually taught for eight years of all things. The guy that was that short-sighted actually used, used the degree to teach Jim for eight years. But that just gives you an idea of where I was, what my mindset was. Make me happy now. But all the while still, I knew he was there. I, I knew it. I just knew it. That year, I graduated from high school, 1978. My brother Kenny got born again. And he was a different man. And I wasn't sure what to think about it. I wasn't sure if I liked it or not. This, this is getting a little close, you know. This is my brother here. This, this, this could convict me. You know, I don't want to get convicted of anything. I don't want, you know. <laughs> That's where I was. And then I started going to college, and I had a roommate from Prineville named Bill Barr. And he and I, we, we got along pretty well. We partied. But, see, I had a mom that was praying and planting seeds in my heart. Bill had his dad who was praying and planting seeds in his heart. God put our paths across each other. He knows what he's doing. So, picture this, if you will. 
Bill and I, we'd go party on Friday and Saturday night. And during the week, we'd have conversations about Jesus. God was beginning to draw. And God, thank God, He will meet somebody from right where they are. He'll meet everybody right where they are. Now, that doesn't mean He wants to leave them where they are, but He'll meet them right where they are. And He met Bill and I right where we were. And we'd go to some Bible studies. And I remember <laughs> I remember one night, Bill said, Hey, I'm going to a Bible study, Mike. Do you want to come with me tonight? I, okay. And then we had two other roommates. And we're getting ready to walk out the door. And one of them says, Where are you guys going? He said, Well, we're going to go to a Bible study. <laughs> You're going to go to a Bible study? Why? Ooh. Ouch. I remember that. We went anyway. Thank the Lord we went anyway. I remember going to another Bible study with a few fellow students there that I, I knew were, were Christians. I kind of, you know, growing up over in Madras, Madras, Redmond, Bend, Prineville, if, if you played basketball or baseball or if you were involved in sports, you kind of knew each other a little bit because we, we all play, the schools played each other. And so we kind of knew who some people were and who, who some were not and, and, and such. And um, so there was a few people there that I knew and I thought were probably Christians. And so I go to this Bible study. And, uh, you know, in a lot of evangelical churches and charismatic churches, they're, they're, they're much more open about, you know, who they embrace and give a hug to and shake hands and hold hands as you pray than we are, and that's just where they are. And uh, But I remember, and I say this because, for I'll, I'll make my point after, but i got, I got a reason to say this. I remember closing this Bible study in Bend, where I was going to school. And we all gathered around, and we held hands, and there was this young lady next to me that I knew had a strong faith. And I remember we were just going around in a circle praying. And I remember I prayed. And I just, I said, God, I, it's been a long time since I've been someplace like this. I want to thank you for it. And this gal just kind of squeezed my hand a little bit. In a way of encouragement, I knew what she meant. And I knew how to take it. And I'm not encouraging that, that to happen here. But I, what I'm saying is, even tiny little things like that. You don't know who might remember that 50 years later and say, that ministered to me. Don't take lightly just little things you can do for people. You don't know how it might impact them. You say, that that is so insignificant. It is, but I remember it. And I remember it. It was, it was from a young lady that loved the Lord that in essence was saying, Mike, yes, keep drawing near to Jesus. 
keep trying to. That's what that told me. And I'd never forgotten that. Later that year, Bill's dad died of cancer. That was hard. But you know, it didn't shake him. It didn't shake Bill. My brother Kenny, you know, he was different. Bill and I were, you know, just, like I say, we'd party and then we'd talk about Jesus. We'd part, that's where we were. And God was faithful. God was faithful to just take us where we were and try to push us along, draw us along, convict us along the path, lead us along. I wonder what the heavenlies were like during those times. I'm sure there had to be an intense fight over the souls of men taking place. It would probably blow our minds away if we had our eyes opened up to see the intensity of the battle taking place over people's souls. Later that that spring, spring of 1979, as this year is carrying on, there was a concert, a Christian concert, by a guy named Leon Patillo was his name. And he was the lead singer for a former uh, secular rock band. And he got born again. And it was just him and a piano. It wasn't like a big rock concert. Okay, it was just him and a piano. And you could understand the words and hit a pretty clear gospel message. Repent and give your life to Jesus. It's good. And I went that night to this concert. It was in Bend still. And I watched people respond to an altar call that this guy gave. And I watched and I watched and I chewed on it and I pondered and I looked this thing over. Wow, this is intense. But I was touched at the same time. I bought the guy's record album. They had the old LPs back then, you know. They're bringing them back now, I guess, from what I understand. But uh, I was tired, and I'd listen to this guy's record. I'd party on Friday night and listen to his record on Saturday morning, you know. That's where I was. Then that summer came along, and and me and one other roommate named Rick stayed in Bend that summer, summer of 1979. Bill went back home to Prineville. And then one day out of the blue, late in the summer, Bill comes riding up uh, on his motorcycle with another friend of his and uh, where we were living there. And I'll never forget it. He gets off his motorcycle. He comes up. We start talking. He said, Mike, very, his very words, we're getting into Jesus. Amen is right. But here I am thinking, oh man, my friends are going down. My brother went down, and my friends are really going down. This is getting tough on me here, you know. This is, I don't know, what am I going to do with this? Because I knew God was calling me. I knew, I could hear his voice almost. He's calling me. And by, by the end of that year,
God meets us where we are. I made a New Year's resolution. I think it's the only one I've ever kept. I told Jesus, I said, sometime this year I'll give you my life. And he said, why didn't you just do it right then? I said, I guess I wasn't ready. I don't know. That's just where I was. And I told him, I've, I've shared this before, but some of you are hearing it for the first time. I told him, I said, I think it'd be kind of neat if you could bring that guy that did that concert last year, bring him back to town, and I could I'll give you my life at one of his concerts. And I look back, and I think, how silly. But I also look back, and I, I, can, I can just see God on his throne saying, okay, I can make that happen. That's not hard. If that'll help you, I'll, I, yeah, we can do that. I remember at times leading up to February 18th of 1980, sitting in front of a television. They were just coming out with Christian TV, and they were putting the gospel singers up there, you know. And, and I, I can remember at times being half drunk and raising my hands to God as I'm listening to this music here. I just... That's where I was. But he didn't forsake me. He stayed faithful to me. Why? It's just who he is. It's what he is. It's not because I deserved it. I didn't earn any faithfulness from him. He'll do the same for you. February 18th, 1980. I was a phys ed major member, so I, you know, I'm, I'm in the gym a lot. We've got different kinds of classes revolving all around that. I'm in the locker room about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I hear these two guys sitting probably about this far away from me to those chairs over there. And I, hear, and I, and I happen to know that they were both Christians. And I, one of them says, hey, you're going to go to that concert tonight. I was thinking about it. I listened a little closer. Yeah, Leon Patello is going to be singing at this church here in town tonight. Oh, man. <sighs> Amen. And I thought, he did it. God did it. He brought him back to town. I can't believe it. You know, as if, you know. I said, I told Jesus I'd give him my life if he'd give him my life. And... God, in all his wisdom, he knew that he probably couldn't give me more than three hours to think about this. That's, I found out it was that night. If I'd have known a week earlier, I probably would have wrestled through my mind and excused, come up with all kinds of excuses and, and done it all away with it, and I would have carried on on the path of death. He didn't give me time to think about it. He knew exactly how to meet me, and when. And I went that night. And I got born again that night. It was a very sober night. I'd been chewing on this thing for 18 months. It was a very sober decision. I wasn't giddy, joyful at all, actually. I was actually very serious. 
that night. I think the guy that I, whose house I went to, I, I, he didn't know what to do with me, I think. Bless his heart. But, you see, I knew that a commitment to Christ meant a lifelong commitment. I knew that if I did this, this was indeed going to be for the rest of my life. There's no back door to, to there's not, you know, it's not something I'm going to try this out and see if I like it. And if I don't, I'll throw it away and I'll just carry on. No, that wasn't, I don't know. I, I thank God. I think he put that in my mind that this is what this is. And so I, this, I was forsaking everything and I knew forever. And you have to understand, I, I wasn't someone that was down in the dumps in the, in the pit of despair. I was a broke college student, but I was having fun. Life was fun. You know, I, I hate saying it, but our, to our flesh, sin is fun. It's sick and it leads to death, but our flesh likes it. And that's where I was. But I knew I wasn't right with God. I knew I was on the road to hell. And we talk about not using hell as a, uh, a means to scare people to the cross, but I, I got to tell you, I was scared of going to hell. God used hell to scare me to the cross as part of it. But I also knew I just owed him everything. I, he, he deserved everything from me, and I owed him everything. Oh, Glenn, we got the same problem you had last week. How am I going to get through this? Very next night, the very next day, no, 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 let me back up because God is faithful. I got to share this story of faithfulness. I needed to get right with God. I knew that. I had no idea what to do next. Had no clue. There happened to be a man at this concert. His name was Craig Riley. God, Craig, I'm going to put Craig and Mike together here. I went to Craig's house afterwards. And he was excited. Praise the Lord, you just got born again. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know. I was serious. You know, I was, and I'd been reading my Bible. I, he said, well, you've already been saved. And I thought, well, I don't think so. I needed to make this step and make it complete. And, uh, <clears throat> but God put him across my path. So I started going to his church. I didn't know where to go. I just needed to get right with God. What do you do next? I don't know. God knew. He knows how to lead, how to provide everything you need. I needed a church after that. He provided one. That's just like that's just like him. And so I started going to church there. It was beautiful. The next the next day I had no idea this was the Spirit of God nudging me, speaking to me. But there's something out there telling me, you've got to tell your roommates what you did last night. You know, we look, I look back now and I think, well, of course. We believe in the heart. We confess with the mouth. Confession with the mouth is so precious to God. It shows you're not ashamed of the gospel and not ashamed of him. 
I just knew something was compelling. I don't know what it is. What is this? Something is telling me. I got to tell my roommates. Well, it was the Holy Spirit. And so I sat down with my roommates. I told them what I did last night. My roommate Rick, he looked at me and he said, You mean no more drinking? I said, No more smoking? No more carousing? I said, no, I'm done. I'll never, I'll never forget it. He looked at me. He said, the look on his face was, I can't handle that. And I didn't say anything, but in my heart, I, I knew I, I, I was saying, I have to handle this. But that's what it was. And there were times some of my friends over the next four months or so that I was going to, my friends I was going to school with, they made fun of me, they mocked me, they, they, uh, that was part of the journey. But I, I thought, I, I have to do this. I've got to go down this path. It wasn't for, maybe three weeks or so went by. And God began to open up the eyes of my understanding. And I began to see people in a whole different way. And it blew, blew me away. I didn't, I didn't know that would happen. I, I didn't know that He was going to make me a new person. I had no idea. I just knew I, I wasn't right with Him, and I needed to get right with Him. That's all I knew. That's, that's all He wanted me to know. He, could, he was big enough to take care of the rest after that gets dealt with. He, he knew how to take. He knows how to take care of me. He knows how to take care of you. And he did. I thank God. He carried me along. I, I was still living with my drinking buddies. I did for about a year and a half. The Lord carried me through. He knows how to carry a person through things like that. He's big enough to handle those things. He's faithful. He's faithful. God is faithful. All right, I got to move forward here. A couple years later, I had a summer job back in my hometown of Madras, and uh, I worked with a guy named Carl Daniels, and uh, he had a sister. She was pretty. I, I liked her. Her name was Joanna. I remember one day, God putting people across your path. I worked for the city of Madras on the street department. And we would patch up streets and pour new sections of concrete and mow the parks on Friday afternoon, the city parks there. You know, we did that kind of thing. And uh, I was sitting on a, the corner of a park, Sahaley Park, in Madras, Oregon. And I was watching concrete dry. Yes, you heard right. We'd poured a new section of concrete. Some of the trees that, that grow up and the roots, they come up, they, they, they push the concrete sidewalk out of 
out of, out of place. So we took all that out, chopped up the roots, poured new concrete. In a, even in a little town like that, if you don't have somebody watching the concrete dry, overseeing it, some naughty little kid is going to come in there and run right through that and put all kinds of footprints or, or ride their bicycle through, or some dog is going to come through. Then you got dog prints all over your nice brand new sidewalk. I was watching the concrete dry. And this, this pretty girl comes up and in her car, where's, where's Carl? Oh, he's back at the shop. So she runs back at the shop. She didn't want to talk to me. And uh, so about 20 minutes go by, and this same girl comes by with a hamburger and french fries from Dairy Queen. She said, well, Carl told me to, to get this for you. I thought, wow, what a deal. This is pretty good. And uh, that's where we met. I was watching the concrete dry, and I met my wife. And we started our journey. Oh, I got to hustle through. Bear with me just a little bit. I'll do the best I can here. Boy. I think you're right. You know, I think let's do because I've I've got I've got some things on my heart that God has recently showed me through my my visits to the hospital that I really want to take some time to do it to do it right. Okay. 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 Okay, all right. So we'll do next Sunday then. Is that is that okay? Okay. Um, I do want to leave you with a few more verses, and then I'll close here. Um, when you guys are in your sixties, and you've got a testimony to share, you'll understand my dilemma here. So <laughs> you'll have a whole lot more years. Just make sure you stay faithful because he's going to stay faithful to you. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with him that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He is God, the faithful God, to a thousand generations. I got a question. Do you think there, uh, uh, average, I'll say, creation scientists would say, correct me if I'm wrong, or that the Earth is roughly close, right around six thousand years old. And if you go, if you start from Revelation and back up to Genesis, that's about how many, roughly how many years you'd have. Scripture pretty much kind of defines a generation as 40 years. Let's just, maybe I'm stretching this a little bit. Let's just pretend a little bit that maybe it's 20 years. Okay, you got a baby, grows up to be 20, gets married, has a baby. That baby grows up to be 20, gets married, has a baby. 20 years, generations. How many generations have, if that's what it is, how many generations have gone by 
over the last 6,000 years? 300. That's right. Not 1,000. We haven't... God says, I will be faithful to 1,000 generations. We haven't even had 1,000. Yet, we haven't had 1,000 generations. So you say, what, what's, what, what, what's, what's he trying to say to us? This is what I think he's trying to say. Is that God is faithful from the beginning to the end. Everything in between. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.13, we know this one. There is no temptation taking such, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Beautiful verse. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. He put that in. He, he, he could write that verse in there because God is faithful. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Faithful is he that calleth you. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Great and precious promise. But, you know, what little I've shared here, I hope you can see, God is a faithful God. He'll meet you right where you're at. No matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're going through, no matter what, what's going on inside your heart, He is right there, forever faithful. He cannot be unfaithful. He cannot be. He would be contradicting Himself to be unfaithful to you. You can take everything you have, all the struggles and the, the turmoil, whatever it is that's got you turned up inside. He is there and He is faithful. You can trust Him. And you'll find out as I share again next week, a lot of it, a lot of our journey as believers in Jesus Christ comes right down to the fact that God is just going to test us Test us and test us just to see if we'll trust Him. Believe in Him. Know that He is faithful. It's real simple. We make things complicated. Anyway. Well, okay. We'll carry on next week. I appreciate that. i got some things in my heart that are pretty dear to me. So we'll go that, go that route. Thank you, brothers. Thanks for listening today.